welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies. Sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am one of three that are around the table every week. My name is Joe Hilliard, joined by Carlos Cooper and Dave Gurney. Now, Dave, you sound a little weird. What's going on? <laughs> I'm in a box. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> I I am on the road um, or or soon to be on the road and have been on the road. So I am not in Corpus Christi with y'all this, this recording uh, session, but didn't want to miss out on the fun. So you guys let me zoom in on this one. And that is why my sound is a little different than Carlos and, and Joe's this week. But it's all right. We're going to make it... We're going to make it work as we do, as we have in the past, as we did during lockdown. This is not uncharted territory for us. We have uh, done it before, and I'm sure we'll we'll certainly have to do it again. Um, it but, happens. But, you know, nonetheless, we persevere because beer must be consumed and movies must be discussed in that order. So first things first, Joe and I have a... Uh, a beer that we are going to be drinking that David could not procure, which we'll get into. And the reason why we're drinking it, Carlos, I'll leave to you to explain. But we're having, first of all, let's agree. How do we pronounce this brewery? I say Youngling. So do I. Is it Youngling? I usually hear, I hear Yingling. Yingling. Well, I'm going to go Yingling because so. it's just more interesting to say it that way. But we're going to enjoy yingling's traditional lager it's an iconic american lager it's on a lot of lists as one of the best kind of lagers produced in america famous for its rich amber color medium bodied flavor and i imagine that if you're listening to this podcast because you enjoy the beer side of things you have enjoyed this before yeah and it's an interesting one because it just recently entered our market within the last like year like the last 12 months uh, it's an amber. It says original amber beer, um, which my, we've talked about this before on the show, but my first like real, I don't know, I guess the first time I noticed craft beer, noticed that there was this beer thing other than just like Bud Light and Miller Light was Fat Tire because my parents mm -hmm. would, when we went out to dinner, yep. like, oh, that's not a normal beer. Um, so this is an amber of that similar style. Now, the reason that I say it just entered our market is because there was a time where this was like highly sought after. Like, like if someone went somewhere and drove back, they like would bring a case of Yingling down. And now, because it's just here in our market, it is to us what it's always been to the people in Pennsylvania, which is just like a kind of cheap go-to beer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you're right on both counts. It was once this highly sought after thing in our region in South Texas, throughout Texas, really, um, where where anybody who wanted some who who had had that experience in the Northeast. I mean, Pennsylvania, you're right, is is kind of the home. But New York, New Jersey, it's kind of a popular beer to see on draft or, or you know, available in bottles uh, wherever you happen to be. Um, so, you know, friend of the program, uh, Anthony, Dr. Z, uh, he was he's a New Jerseyan by birth and and grew up there and lived there for many years. And it is a particular favorite of his because it sort of, you know, has that connection to the Northeast where, where he was, uh, where he made his, you know, sowed his oats as a, as a beer drinker. 
um, so to speak. So yeah, there are those people with the fond attachment. And as Carlos pointed out before, you'd think this beer that's ubiquitous in the Northeast, you'd be able to get, I happen to be in the Northeast, just really far North and to the Northeast. And, and strangely enough, it doesn't get distributed up here yet. So I don't know that I, it may just be that the main market doesn't seem lucrative enough for them to go through all the rigmarole and, um, you know, main, so craft heavy, maybe that's another thing, but um, I, when I looked on their beer finder map, I could not get anything within the state of Maine. So I, I had to say plan B and, uh, as luck would have it, I'll expand on this after hours for, for our listeners who, uh, subscribe to Patreon. Patreon.com slash green movie podcast. They, uh, will hear me talk about the, the very fun scenario that I found myself in just a little bit earlier this afternoon before we recorded where I was in the garage of a gentleman who had a beer fridge, um, that would be the envy of almost any craft beer nerd that I know. And I know a lot of craft beer nerds, um, that, um, was literally pulling beers out, handing them to me and saying, you got to try this. You got to try this. You got to try this. And I ended up with a um cardboard container that would hold you know whatever it is the um is it six four packs you know those are pretty common these days for those yeah um full of beers and one of them that he gave me is a beer that i'm excited to try from a brewery i've never had before out of the state of maine it is out of waterboro maine uh it is billing itself as a red india pale ale it is called Red Phoenix, and it is by a brewery that I'm going to try to pronounce their name, but I will probably butcher it. It is spelt X-O-T-A, Xota, or he was referring to it as Exota. He was kind of saying the X, but I feel like you're not supposed to say the X on a lot of X words. Yeah, I would say Zoda. Zoda. More like a, treat it like a Z. I feel like that's what it normally is, right? That's like Xavier? Right. Yeah. Xerox, Xavier, yeah. I, I get that. So. Anyhow, so, I don't, this is a 5.3%. I'm looking forward to trying it. And so, it's, sorry I couldn't get the Yingling, but uh, I'll, I'll give this Jota or Zoda a try. I'm sorry for you that you couldn't get the Yingling. Yeah, enjoy, yeah. enjoy your Red Fina's. <laughs> Joe, I feel like you're about to dish a stat. I was. Uh, Yingling is the oldest brewery in America. Yes, that is true. That's oh, yeah. It's one worth it's- noting as we dive into uh the reason why we're drinking it which is uh, it's steeped in a little bit of tradition up in the philadelphia area yeah um yeah one of its big claims to fame is that it's the oldest brewery in america um so yeah the reason that we are drinking a beer that comes from the great state of pennsylvania and uh comes from a town that's about an hour north i believe of philly is because uh our our film is very philly based um and it is super yeah the new adam sandler movie Interestingly enough, a Happy Madison production um, titled Hustle. It just came out. It's a Netflix film. Uh, I think it's part of that huge Netflix deal he signed, right? That's why it's a Happy Madison production. Gotta be. I think so, yeah. But a huge departure from the uh, Sandy Wexler... Fucking what were said? Uh, Halloween, Myrowitz, Halloween, Hubie, Savage, Set. Hubie, Halloween, yeah, Halloween. I think the Myrowitz stories wasn't part of his deal because that's a uh, Bombback film, isn't it? I don't oh, know. Maybe I watched it this weekend. I that's that's movie. Like anyway, um, but yeah, much different from those silly kind of him, David Spade, Rob Schneider kind of comedies. Yeah. Uh, you know, a Kevin James. It's a 
a big departure from that kind of stuff and uh, a more serious film looking at uh, basketball, specifically the Philadelphia 76ers. If you know anything about sports, you know that the quote from this film is true. Philadelphia has the worst sports fans and that's what makes them the best. They are absolutely savage. They will bully people off yeah. of their teams and run them out of town, yeah. which happened literally this NBA season. Uh, are they, you saying they don't trust the process? Nope, no, not anymore. <laughs> it, it, but that's a saying associated with a specific team, right? I am sure, tapping yeah, into right. basketball. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the process was involved with the Sixers tanking, like basically intentionally losing to get a higher draft pick so that they could rebuild. And then they ended up with these two superstars, Joel Embiid, who for some reason is barely in this film. He gets, he's like in one shot at the very end of it. And he is the marquee player for the Philadelphia 76ers. The other being uh, Ben Simmons, who is the guy who got bullied off the team because he sucks. And (laughs) (laughs) Hold on one second. Joe just spilled his beer everywhere. Oh, no. This film doesn't really trade in the real world of the current. No. Which, how could it? Uh, It was filmed in the past. And but anyway, uh, this what this movie should really be about is the San Antonio Spurs, because this. uh, The main character in this film, played by Adam Sandler, um, Stanley Sugarman, is a talent scout for the Sixers organization, uh, which essentially means uh, he's one of the guys in charge of looking at young talent coming out of college, playing overseas, things like that, and trying to figure out who is the best player that we can get in the draft that's the missing piece and for what we need to win a championship. Uh, this is something that has become like more and more prevalent in the nba with the with the overseas talent and stuff like that the reason i say it should be the spurs is because we're famous for uh, bringing in incredible european talent uh, and south american as well but it, in the beginning of the movie we see him trying to scout this guy who he doesn't think is good for the team the owner agrees promotes him to a s- assistant coach dies he gets demoted from assistant coach the shithead son that has taken over the team uh and foster yeah, Ben Foster uh, drafts the guy that Adam Sandler said not to draft. Of course, it blows up in his face. And he that's why he gets demoted from assistant coach because he's he's got to go back out and be a scout again. He finds this guy named Bo Cruz playing street ball because he's in Spain. And the guy he was sent to scout in Spain is injured and isn't, isn't even going to be playing in the game that he's attending. So he's like, well, fuck it. I want to go shoot some hoops because this is a waste of my time. Sees this incredible guy playing in freaking Timberlands uh a construction booth yeah. like doing a hustle yeah and uh and it's like this is the guy tries to bring him to the sixers the sixers have their head up their ass and are like no we're not doing this he brings him to the states anyway to try to get him into the combine which is like the kind of showcase that precedes the draft so that everybody can see all of the draft prospects um you know play and display their talents and all that kind of stuff uh, there are, and so that so so that's the whole thing is is Adam Sandler trying to get Bo Cruz, this young Spanish kid, played by Juancho Herna Gomez, who's an actual NBA player, into the NBA. This movie is full of NBA players and color commentators, coaches, executives, um, 
But before we get to that, we should also round out the cast. Queen Latifah plays Adam Sandler's wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, Heidi Gardner plays the sister of Ben Foster, uh, who are the co-owners of the Sixers in this world. Um, and then who else do we have? Uh, Kenny Smith uh, plays his college best friend, Leon. Kenny Smith is on Inside the NBA on TNT with Charles Barkley, Shaq, and Ernie Johnson. Um but I think those are like the those are the people I can yeah, think it's the of. The main cast, the main cast, yeah. But then you've got yeah, Shaq shows up. Uh, you've got Anthony Edwards. You've got uh, Tyrese Maxey. Uh, not Tyrese. Uh, sorry, uh, Tobias Harris, who was like the third best guy, quote unquote, on the Sixers, mm-hmm. a big name in the Sixers organization. Um, Kyle Lowry shows up in there somewhere. He plays for the Heat right now. Um, just a ton of like legit. Oh, um, the first guy that Adam Sandler scouts is Boban Marjanovic, who plays for the Mavericks now, but played for the Spurs in his early career in the NBA. Yeah. I, before we get out in the, and there are a lot more cameos that you could name, I'm sure. But before we skip over it, Jaleel white shows oh, up yeah. in this film, which I, the first time he showed up, I was like, is that, and by the second time I said, it sure is. <laughs> it's Urkel. Hundred <laughs> percent, it was him because he has he's guest starred on Psych multiple times. So I've seen him. Okay, you've seen an adult, adult Jaleel White. Also, for a guy who like made his name playing this kind of dweeby, like you know, whatever guy, handsome man. Yeah, should be noted. Uh, right. Well, that's what made me do a double take because it's like yeah. it's not what I think of, but oh yeah, take the glasses off, grow them up a little bit. Yeah, that's who Jaleel White turns into. Yeah. This is when I would love to dip into my pop culture encyclopedia brain to be able to say the name of the Jaleel White character that he played on Family Matters when he was the cool alter ego. Oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. Oh, his buddy love character. Yeah, I can't remember what, what that was, the, the alter ego's name was. That's a funny one, yeah. The hustle in the title refers to basically the main focus of the film, which is taking this diamond in the rough character and trying to prepare him to you know, be able to not only play at the level, but deal with the psychological game of higher stakes, you know, professional basketball, which is what he's not used to. So you see him get intimidated by the uh, Anthony Edwards character who Anthony Edwards, by the way, I thought did a fantastic job. He's really, he good really, really movie. good for not I kind of so good that I almost question, is he just that bad of a, a jerk on the court? <laughs> of course, at the end, him turning the tie on the Anthony Edwards character and kind of getting in his head to, to, yeah. to, to, to do well. Then you've also got the struggle of Adam Sandler is fitting the bill for Bo while he's basically training uh, was it six weeks yeah i think, I think they said six like weeks that. to the combine yeah. when he first gets to america yeah and the financial struggles and the what am i going to do with my life struggles and uh, is this all a mistake struggles that he and queen latifah as husband and wife kind of circumnavigate throughout the film first and foremost just to get the the ball rolling on this one i really really like this film i think it's like an instant like perennial all-time sports film i l- was really surprised by how much I loved Queen Latifah and Adam Sandler as a couple didn't see it coming. And I, I agree with that. The, the chemistry between them was shocking almost where when I saw her name in the credits and then as I stepped into realizing who she was going to be in the film, I was worried. I was like, Ooh, this is this going to feel like a weird 
like they're trying to do an opposites pairing to play up the comedy of the couple, but they don't at all. It comes across as a very genuine relationship and the two of them actually do a really nice job bouncing off one another. So the back, I was impressed. The backstory provided of the relationship actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, they were college school. athletes. He was a track star. He was a basketball star. Yeah. Uh, so it's rooted in that, you know, kind of familiarity within the college sports situation. And yeah. It took me a while to get used to it because, you know, Queen Latifah, you see her, you expect her to be doing certain things. But once they kind of get into their rhythm, I, I tend to agree with both of you. Yeah. I, you know, I think if I think the thing that this movie suffers from the most, if it, if I have any like real critique, or I mean, I guess it is, I do have a critique of it, and it is this: it's that it, most of the female characters are incredibly underdeveloped. Like Queen Latifah mm. is is only given so much to do. I really wanted to see more of Heidi Gardner because mm -hmm. I think the moments we did see her, she was great. I would love to see more of her outside of sketch because I think that her stuff on SNL, while it's good, she's not my favorite on the cast. Um, but I think that she, she has a, a real potential to kind of like break out into like doing more like not serious, but like straight film stuff where she's yeah. not like doing it like a, a character or like an over the top character at least. But I wanted to see more from her as well. And thankfully she shows back up at the end, but it's like, you know, she's in the very beginning and then she's at the very end. She's yeah, got like a, five cumulative minutes. Maybe yeah. one um, of my criticisms is the quick kind of denouement that the film has to kind of give us, you know, given where the film goes. She just shows up to give a sentence. We don't even see Ben Foster really fail. We just see hear her say, "Yeah, he failed, so I'm gonna be taking a more advanced role." And there's a, there's a lot of that uh, in the film. I don't know. I think that I think that his arrogance and stubbornness comes across pretty clearly to me. Well, no argument with that. Where sentence. it's like he's so like I'm right and you are wrong. Yeah, I've that got a lot he to prove. Refuse to like really even give Bo Cruz a chance when he's like the second best draft prospect, mm -hmm. uh, you know, tied with or just behind Kermit, the Anthony Edwards character. Mm -hmm. uh, and with what we know of the Sixers organization, it's a fucking shit show. So like it makes it's, it was easy for me to go there <laughs> with it. And like, I, I do hear what Joe's saying though. And I, and I kind of agree that that, that one piece felt a little rushed to me where I feel like there was probably even a scene cut that, um, you know, would have been the comeuppance moment for the Ben Foster character, because I mean, he was, I think Ben Foster does a great job playing a very despicable, unlikable character. He, he kind of has that ability uh, and, and he puts it on display here. And as you know, Vince, the, the character here, it, you kind of want the satisfaction of seeing that guy taken down, right? You see that scene where he's going on, was it sports center or whatever the program was to kind of trash talk Adam Sandler and, and talk about, you know, he only named him as a disgruntled employee. Right. But everybody in the you know league knows who this guy is. So I, I would have liked to have seen him called out. For sure. Yeah. Uh, what else did you think, David? So I, I mean, I'm I'm glad to hear Carlos likes it as much as he does because part of my reaction is this I think and now you have verified that for me I think this is a film that sports fans especially NBA fans are going to love I think that this is the kind of uh, NBA story that people would really dig into sink their teeth into I personally found it to be a little bit 
too on the predictable by the numbers kind of side of things to find it to be like a truly outstanding film that I need to recommend to people who aren't sports fans. But I think anybody who has even like a passing interest in the NBA and following teams uh, currently would get a real kick out of this because it. I think it does get behind the scenes on a lot of the stuff that drives decisions in ways that, um, you know, you don't see a lot of films do. So I, I think that that's a novel aspect here. It's just one that's not going to appeal as much to a general audience. Yeah, when you say... Carlos, these all-time pantheon sports films. There are a lot of similarities between these, I'm sorry, this and those that tend to be on this list. When you when you ask people, what are the best basketball films? Hoosiers is going to be on that list, you know, in a general sense. Yeah. And you have a lot of the same beats, although I understand that that film is more about team play instead of one player's rise in performance. But the obstacles thrown at them, uh, Ben Foster being the largest obstacle here, the way that they use, it, not not just ingenuity, but good old-fashioned, you know, elbow grease to kind of to kind of solve the issue. Here, I felt that I, I enjoyed the way it was executed, but I felt that whenever they're not going to give Bo a chance to, uh, to, to come to com the Combine, they create a social media campaign with the help of the daughter who's in the background been been hinting that she's really great at film and really great at social media and then so she's able to kind of flex her muscle uh with the help of was it dr j i think was yep. it yeah dr. uh the dr j who plays himself in the film um very well in my yeah head. yeah i thought he did a great job to to create a buzz around the player so that then he can receive his combat there's just these little quick problem, quick solution, quick problem, quick solution that doesn't at the end of the day prevent me from enjoying this movie very much. It, 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 it checks all the boxes of a feel good movie. And I felt really good when it, when it was over, you know, I mean, it, it, you root for the proper people. You're happy to see them succeed. Adam Sandler, it's not a punch drunk love level uh, performance, but he doesn't play silly comedy in this one. Mm -hmm. He's playing a real guy and he does a real, I think, good job. Yes, I, I, I mean, I agree with what you're saying, Joe. I will add, though, you know, we already talked about the chemistry with Queen Latifah and Adam Sandler, right? which I think is real and I think made some of those scenes really work for me in a way that they could have fallen flat and that would have been a problem but also really loved Adam Sandler and Wancho. Wancho. Yeah, um, who plays Bo Cruz. I thought that they, like, I was a little bit skeptical initially. Wancho, uh, you know, didn't come across. I mean, he's supposed to be kind of stoic and, and not, you know, uh, unresponsive other than when he gets shaken on the court, I guess. And then the response is more like him uh, missing baskets and and doing whatever that's kind of like you know showing that he's off his game but um but the actual moments that they spent together as the film went on especially like I thought there was a pretty good chemistry between them and I thought that because it really kind of I mean the story it tells is one where you know Bo has not had a father really and you know in fact there's this moment in the film where you know he has his one sleeved arm right he has his a tattoo sleeve on one arm and then his other arm is empty and you know the this is these are for my mother and my daughter and what what's the other arm the other arms for my father and it's empty right and then um you know spoiler at the end of the film 
there's a tattoo there, folks. When when he's uh, you know shaking hands with uh, with Sandler with Stanley Sugarman on the court, kind of showing that okay, look, he's found a father figure. He's found this guy in his life who you know believed in him, took interest in him, helped get him to where hustled to get him where he 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 got um, into the NBA. So you know that was it, it. Was great to see that and good performances all around. I would have loved to have seen more of Robert Duvall. I understand why we have to kill him off early. <laughs> Another spoiler there. Um, and it made sense. And that was such a, that was one of those moments in the movie watching it where I ought to, like, I spoke out loud. I'm like, fuck, <laughs> when he dies. I should have seen that coming. But when it happened, I'm like, oh, of course, he's not going to be assistant coach. He's, you know. A mile away. Yeah. But I loved Robert Duvall in those couple scenes that he was in and, and getting to see him interact with Adam Sandler was pretty cool. The film comes chock uh, complete with uh, training montages that oh, you yeah. ripped from the pages of Rocky. Direct Rocky reference at the top of the steps. Yep, yeah, yep, yep. And I, I want to say, I thought that they were shot with an energy and an editing and a pace that made them more palatable than just the filler that they tend to provide in these kinds of films. Uh, the big thing was you had to run up a, a hill mm-hmm. in Philadelphia. I'll drive behind you in my car. We're going to time you. And before we get to the draft, I want to see you do it. What was it? A minute 45 or yeah, some time that he had to hit. Yeah. And uh, you see him gradually kind of get there. Uh, what a missed opportunity that they didn't have the foresight to know that running up that hill a deal with God by Kate Bush would have blown up the way it did right around this time that it's being released. I mean, if they could have incorporated that in there for the running sequence, for the running montage, I mean, it that would have been boom. Talk about synergy for Netflix. No, I, I don't know that which, and they should have known that that song was going to be used in stranger things by that point. And they should have just bought a bing, bada boom. Yeah. You know? Look, run it all through. Do I think that would have been a good song for that montage? I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. Or on the nose lyrically, but uh, but yeah, I, I I for sports movies and things like this, I think they largely do need to follow those beats in the same way that romantic yeah, comedies had that kind conversation of do. Recently, yeah. yeah, for them to be successful, and I think this one does that, and it does it with a sport that i love and i with you know an actor a leading actor that i like when he lets himself get serious and do some like real work and which i think he did here not that comedy is not real work but just some of the comedies that he does i don't really think (laughs) um and i also like at the end spoilers (laughs) that uh bo's on another team you know yeah yeah, I thought that was a nice touch. Touch because if they, you know, if he had ended up being his coach, then they'd be like, okay. But now he put all this hard work and effort into developing this guy's raw. Because t- that's the thing about Bo Cruz and like the discovery of him is that he's a guy with just raw talent that has never had it like molded or honed or. Um, like focused in any way that because because that's really what playing in the nba is is like everyone in the nba is talented like everybody in the nba can fucking hoop you know but the difference between steph curry and shit even his brother seth curry is that who is in this film as well because he was playing for the sixers at the time this movie was shot is steph curry's just like 
inability to be phased by almost anything and just that like having really like been able to hone his talent focus on certain aspects of his game to take to the next level other than like yeah i can fucking shoot and that's it you know carlos what did you think i i was curious watching some of the the actual basketball play scenes it did strike me as being shot a little differently than i remember a lot of basketball scenes shot in the using a lot more like frontally um positioned cameras especially when they're doing the kind of uh trash talking what how, did you think that played well was that or I, am, is that something that's done all the time and i just haven't seen enough basketball films no that that actually is one of the things that stood out to me about it was it being shot so much differently um you know i feel like a lot of times with basketball movies uh you get like really fast tracking shots or like whip pans when the ball gets passed mm -hmm. uh slow motion and stuff but with this movie because so much of Bo's struggles are internal it plays a lot better to not see us or not show us uh or have us see his hands moving and going between the legs and like that kind of stuff but to see like him from the shoulders up uh, mm -hmm. and see his face and kind of you know i i think humanize the player is a bit of is a little exaggerated because i don't think that other films like dehumanize the right <laughs> right right but just to really put us in like you know this is about this guy's like headspace it's about the like mental part of his game it's about him overcoming the things within himself that are preventing him from getting to that next level because i mean yeah you know even from the jump that's a big part of it is that you know because of the way his life turned out uh you know he kind of lost some opportunities that he could have had to have gone on to play in europe and then maybe play in the nba and all that kind of stuff and so i i really like that and also it makes anthony edwards feel more aggressive too because you know you're seeing his face as he's saying all these like terrible things yeah. and he like the performance that he gives is he looks like he like really enjoys like ruining this guy's life yeah oh yeah no that's what i mean like he he looks like he's getting a charge out of it yeah uh so i did i did i did really like that about it and yeah i think that it was just it was just fucking cool like i walked <laughs> highly in with josh and 30 minutes into it josh was like i love this movie and i was like yeah me too <laughs> yeah it's gotten a really positive response anecdotally from friends people like this movie i think that you know if you look back at the recent history on a sports film that hits all the beats that we've talked about but really you know gives you that feeling that it's going for that most of these kind of sports underdog movies are going for it, do, it does it well and i think people audiences are responding to it very well my mom texted me the morning that I watch, or like I watched this on Saturday and she texted me Saturday morning and said, I watched Hustle last night. If you're a supersonic NBA fan, it is a must, a must watch. Yeah. Which she knows that I am. <laughs> so essentially her telling me you have to watch this movie and I agree you do have to watch this movie. If you're, yeah, I, I really liked it. I, I'm glad that I feel like at this point of in his career, we're getting as close to equal doses of like good and bad Adam Sandler content as we've ever gotten before. Uh, and I hope it continues to trend in a positive direction as far as like the projects that he chooses to take and his output.
I'm willing to take the low lows of Hubie Halloween if we can get the highs of Uncut Gems and Hustle. That 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 is having not seen Hubie Halloween, I oh, have smart man heard not bad things about it. No, there there should be many bad things said about it. It's not good. It's not good. Okay. All right. Fair well, enough. Uh, we got two beers to talk about then. Carlos, you and I kind of enjoyed this uh, Yingling traditional lager. Uh, we said it already. It's on all kinds of lists. It's ubiquitous, but it's not in Maine. What did, what did you think? Have you ha- you've had this before? I have had this before. I mean, it was a you know a big thing whenever it showed up here uh, in town, and I. Um, you know, went pretty quickly once it arrived to give it a try and see what all the fuss was about. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a really solid beer that is not very expensive. Uh, I don't understand why the fuck they're still using these green bottles, uh, but I'll give them a pass on it. Uh, Other than that, I have no complaints. I mean, listeners of this podcast know that do I love some fancy uh, Eureka and El Dorado hopped, hazy double ipa uh you know with water from the tops of mount olympus or whatever crazy you know shit people do with beer these days yes i love all that stuff uh do i love do i love shit cheap beer like coors banquet lone star and yingling fuck yeah i do i love it so much it Uh, is a sad notion that a professional beer reviewer such as myself is going to under the beer umbrella which basically has two major taxonomy styles lager and ale to say over and over again on this program i just don't like lagers very much i mean that's a big you know division and removing myself from a large percentage of beers available especially the like more accessible beers sure mexican lagers i mean they just aren't my thing i find them to have very thin flavor very um you know that ricey flavor this amber though by yingling you can understand why it is so popular certainly in the lager community that amber means that it's going to have a, a lot more flavor to it or you expect it to and this does if i hadn't spilled three quarters of my beer on your carpet <laughs> i could have even enjoyed it more but i'm going to say that, that if yingling is an option available to available to me at the local craft beer store or beer bar then my the expectation or rather i should say the probability that i pick up a lager has just gone up a little bit yeah like that well you know having experienced yingling as i have in the past when i've been in texas and then also before that when a couple times when i had been in the northeast i find it very drinkable easy to throw back um and i i hear you joe and i know you have this lager uh block but but i don't share that and so so the the amber lager works okay for me the interesting thing here is i didn't even think of it when we were, were talking about it but of course i must have you know subconsciously set myself up for a pairing for your pairing that you know as a red ipa this show to brewing uh, red phoenix is is really kind of a, a cousin to the amber i mean as many folks will already know that the red ale you know is just sort of a European uh, version of what we call an amber ale in in the states. It's you know both for its hue, um, which is you know amber or red, that kind of that kind of color, um, but also the the malt bill, which tends to be a little bit more uh, robust, more caramel, 
notes, not as much straw and cracker as you would get in like those lighter lagers. Um, This IPA incorporating that sort of red ale base to it um, and its malt bill is pretty tasty. I mean, this is not my kind of everyday drinker because I'm not generally somebody who wants that sort of caramel note in, in, in much of my beer, but there are times when it's called for, and I can definitely recognize that Shota is doing that, or Zota is doing that in a really even-handed way here. It is not overpowering or cloying. I think the hop element is there. Um, it, it definitely, I can see why they are calling it a Red India Pale Ale and not just a Red Ale. I think it has a little bit too much of a hop character to, to just pass as a typical Red Ale. And at 5.3%, I mean, even though I'm not going to drink this every day, I could. So I, I feel good about that. I'm I'm happy all around, and I'm very impressed. This being my first beer from Zota. Uh, Zota. The uh, Yingling Lager IABV is not anywhere on the bottle. I looked it up. It was 4.5. I figured it was okay. somewhere in between 4 and 5, not to exceed 5. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's the first half of the basketball game that we're playing tonight. Yes, it is. And it's all tied up at the break. Now, yeah, let's uh, yeah. see what happens in the second half when we return. We are going to kick things off with a beer that has been haunting my refrigerator. We were, uh, if you listen to what, like two, maybe three episodes ago, we were gifted uh, some beer by a friend and listener of the pod. And because Joe lives out in the sticks now, Mm -hmm. he wisely decided to bring all of this beer to my home where yeah. we record for storing so that we had all of our options available to us every time we recorded rather than just the one beer maybe he were brought or had remembered to bring that week. Uh, and that's why I say haunting because I, I know that when beer is delivered to my house that is for the podcast, it is not to be consumed off mic. And this requires a great deal of self-control on the part of me, mm-hmm. someone with very little self-control. Especially since friend of the show, Daniel, that brought us these beers, tends to, when he contributes beers for our amusement, bring good shit. Really good shit all the time. And this is one that I keep looking at every time I open my freaking fridge. And I'm like, I want to drink that right now. And I can't. Yeah. And I love that we're doing it while David's out of town. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently this fucking Mecca of the fridge that he that's right just, so he's, he's already been to Nirvana yeah, he's, today. He, he 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 didn't give a shit about us he's gonna drink uh, all right. this stuff on his sorry own. uh no you're not tell that guy to send us a box i, I think I, he did <laughs> i'll bring some back later don't worry uh even if you don't i i, I enjoy your I, I i am not upset you can you brought us some of the best beers we've ever had on the show so this is from untitled art it is a collaboration with angry chair my last experience with angry chair was a crowler that had been procured by friend of the show martin and it was a rocky road ice cream stout and it was 
unfucking real. So whenever you brought this, I was like, I have to try this ASAP. It's so this is uh, a collab between those two breweries. The beer is called Midnight Toffee Stout. It's an imperial stout with cacao nibs, vanilla beans, Belgian candy syrup, and milk sugar. Oh, um, there's some lactose in there, and I. Uh, in my top five candies is a Heath bar. Oh, really? And that's old man. Stuff. A friend of mine, a friend of mine's mom used to make these unbelievable Heath bar cookies. Mm. Uh, and I haven't had them in years because I haven't seen them in years. But um, it's our 10th visit to Untitled Art and geez, Angry yeah. Chair, our first time with them. They're out of Tampa, Florida. Oh, God. How could something so great come out of a place so dark? Who that is pouring dark and thick. I can see that on camera. Ah, it sure is. Look at that. Look at that. Nice. Uh, well, David, David, what you got? I'm staying on the lighter side. And, and maybe just because Joe was taunting me with his hatred of loggers. Uh, I'm, I'm going with a 100% malt premium lager from uh, Liquid Riot Brewing out of Portland, Maine. And this is called Nama. Nama. It's a tribute to Japanese lagers, though it doesn't incorporate any rice. They're clear about that. 100% malt um, as the base here. 5.3% alcohol by volume. I've had Liquid Riot before myself when I've been up in the great state of Maine, but I do not believe I've brought some back for y'all. I don't think we've had it on the program before, so uh, I may have to fix that so you guys can sample, but I'm going to do this myself while we're talking about our second film. Well, since you're not here to stick your nose in this one, David, I'm going to tell you that toffee is coming was, in hot was gonna, on the nose. Was, it's intense. Smell this. Uh, I, I wish we had smell-o-vision. Zoom, can you get on this? Uh, I, I know they're listening. I know Belgian, they're listening to the show. They are. Belgian candy syrup. That's an interesting yeah, I, don't know, I don't know what that is, but I'm here for it. 100% here for it. Very nice. Um, yeah, so the second half commences. We've got another uh, 24 minutes of end-to-end -end action. Uh, Fresh out of the locker room, Carlos hadn't stopped slapping me on the ass. <laughs> uh, what, uh, when it came time to, to discuss what we were going to do, we were this close, this close to doing Punch Drunk Love, like the pairing idea. Another, right. Go ahead, David. Well, just another sort of elevated Sandler film, a Sandler film that took him outside of the... Uh, more silly comedies. Don't use that term elevated, David. It's so bougie. Um, <laughs> well, what we decided, what we'd landed on, and I had never seen well, it. Well, hold on. Uh, before you get to that, can yeah. I can I throw out some some things that we that were thrown out there and ultimately not decided on? Okay. One of them being Space Jam, our infamous Lost episode. If yes. you go back far enough, and you got to go way far back, you'll hear me monologue about Space Jam because our discussion of it was lost to technical difficulties and glitches and errors or whatever, but it was quite the conversation we had when we talked about it. Uh, and I'm, I'm very sad that that got lost to space jam. Whatever. We should say like one of your favorite movies all the way back to childhood. I mean, I have a very soft spot for yeah. space jam, not space jam, any legacy though. That movie can get fucked. Uh, I also threw out like Mike. Yeah. White man can't jump. That would have been good. Juana man. <laughs> Okay, a movie that very few people have probably seen, uh, and I 
God, I know there was another love and basketball, love and basketball. Yeah. Sean will be sad that we didn't do that one, but uh, like Mike would have been a good one too. But ultimately we landed on uh, a Spike Lee joint. Yeah. 1998 Spike Lee joint. He got game starring Denzel Washington as a father, Jay and um, Ray Allen as the graduating high school senior son. Uh, The film revolves around Jake Shuttlesworth played by Denzel Washington father of the top-ranked basketball prospect in the country, Jesus Shuttleworth. Jake is in prison for killing his wife, and he's released on parole for one week by the state governor to persuade Jesus, his son, to play for the governor's alma mater, Big State University, in exchange for a reduced prison sentence. So you've got several elements here. You've got... um, the son angry at the father for a being absent and b killing his mom there's a flashback sequence that shows the i wouldn't say murder but i certainly would say assault uh they're in a heated argument over disciplining jesus as a younger boy and uh denzel washington pushes her she stumbles and hits her head real hard and dies uh he goes to jail for that uh you've also got what another what i found to be the kind of the more interesting thing was the I don't know how accurate it is, Carlos. You can probably have the three of us tell us how accurate it is. Kind of how these top-rated draft picks are courted by schools and the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, you kind of see in one like telescope sequence of him visiting one school. He's been visiting several schools, and you can see the the women that are offered and the the you will be the king of the place, and you know uh, you see him being tempted with cash offers and car purchases and of course all of that is illegal and he keeps his head above the water and doesn't accept all of it but it is noted that he might have accepted some cash previously so that he can move out of his aunt aunt and uncle's house who are his guardian uh, after his mother is dead his father's in prison and then you see the uncle like make a play of you owe us this and we want to wet our beak and you know the pressure that he's under to make what every single person in his life calls the most important decision you will ever make yeah then his dad comes back if he can get his son to go to big state then his prison uh, sentence will be reduced so he's got that kind of motivation but at the same time he's also trying to rectify in the short period of time that he has out of prison all of the situation not only with his son but with his young daughter as well yeah um now to just quickly answer your question about um how accurate uh this, of course, whole, this was 1998 yeah this whole thing is uh bill simmons uh wrote a review for espn uh this is just on the wikipedia page so it's very easy to find uh but he says coaches aren't allowed to discuss potential recruits until after the signing period. Come on, Spike. And while we're at it, players aren't allowed to visit a college one week before the signing deadline. Jesus couldn't live alone with his sister without both of them being thrown in a foster home. And there's no way in hell Jesus wouldn't have turned pro if he was that good and that broke. So he had a lot of issues with the factual flaws oh, of the story. I think, but I do think that the commentary on this process for uh, young men going into the NBA or into college and then the NBA. I think the commentary is accurate, but I think the reality of as it presented is distorted in a way for fucking storytelling. Sure. Right? You know, like as almost always, these aren't mean, unforgivable crimes. It's like, you know, uh, 
the whole pressure of the thing is he only has a week to find his son, mend his relationship with his son for killing his mother Mm -hmm. and convince him to do what he wants him to do in seven days. And riding hard on the sun in the pursuit of basketball excellence, which we see in flashback as well. Yeah, so so it's all of that Mm -hmm. makes the drama of the story more compelling and it amps up the stakes and that's what we do in drama in dramatic film so like yes factual things might be distorted but definitely there has been a lot of history of colleges doing certain things to entice top prospects to go to their schools Um, a lot has happened in the nba over the years as far as policies and like you know lebron james was famously one of the last players that was able to come straight out of high school into the nba now you can't enter the draft unless you're 19 i think uh which would you know presuppose that you had to have done at least a year of college or you know something like that um so you know things have but i but i i think at the point in time this film was made, this is a pretty, uh, you know, it's a good commentary of the landscape of recruiting athletes to colleges and to professional sports. If there was a five-timers club for directors, Lee entered it this week on Beer and a Movie. This is our fifth Spike Lee joint to review. Hell yeah. In the second one, where they find the treasure while they're trying to take a poop. Right. Yes. Right. The unforgettable uh, plot twists of <laughs> the Five Bloods. What do you think? How did you did you watch this one uh, up in on your vacation? I suppose. Yeah. So you know, this was a film that I had seen when it came out. I believe I saw it in the theater. Um, you know, it, it was notable enough at the time. Spike Lee was a name that I recognized, and I um, took interest in 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 my early days as a as a film lover. I guess there in the late nineties. Uh, so I do remember seeing it. Also, the Public Enemy soundtrack, I think, was was a, a an enticement for me as well. Like, OK, let's hear what they what they do for a, a film like this. So I remember seeing it years ago, but it had been a long time. So, yeah, rewatching it, taking it all in again. I have to say th- the whole is not quite as good as some of its parts if that makes sense, right? It's it's not better than the sum of its parts. It's not as good as some of its parts. Um, and, I, and I say that because for me watching it this, this second time through, um, a couple things struck me. What, let, let's start with some of the good. I, I really like that Lee, the way that he clearly has this love for basketball and a lot of the images like the opening sequence um, pr- pretty early on in the film when we're introducing Jesus and we're seeing his team and his teammates, it's all very stylized. It's all very um, I, I, like uh, romantic in a way. I mean, he's clearly in love with this game and he loves putting it in the spotlight and, and he loves showing off some of the best things about it. Um, so that stuff comes through. I enjoyed that. I think Denzel, I mean, come on, the, the guy is a legend for reasons. I mean, you, you he can do almost anything. It's and this is a role in this movie. This is a role that he just attacks with total vigor and, and it's, and it's there and it's got layers to it. And, and I love seeing that the backstory of the character, I think is really sad and compelling and interesting. Um, I, I actually was impressed by Ray Allen. You know, again, I don't think he's really gone on to do much acting other than this, but, but he does a pretty good job here. <clears throat> mm, you don't think so? I didn't 
I didn't love him in it. I thought uh, I thought Juancho Herna Gomez was better as an actor in Hustle than Ray Allen was in this movie. I, I thought Ray Allen did as good as one could have expected mm. to do. But also I have a real bias against Ray Allen for all of the pain and trauma he caused me in 2013. And <laughs> I don't know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, he, he must have beat the Spurs. What team was he with then? Fucking Heat. Uh, oh, okay. LeBron James, game six, 2013, final seconds. Um, <sighs> rough times. Um, well, th- let me get to... Yeah. Yeah, let me get to some of the bad because I, I did say that there was some stuff. The big bad here for me is the whole hooker subplot. The the that feels so added in, and I just don't understand why it's there. I kind of remember it standing out to me at the time where I was because you know the the conceit here being that Jake, the Denzel character, is put into a flop like a a you know hourly rent hotel or whatever that is where prostitutes would be bringing Johns to to do their business. And he's, you know, sort of rooming next to one, essentially, played by Mila Jovovich. And we see them develop this relationship kind of out of nowhere. When he knows he's on a ticking, he's got this ticking clock over him and he's trying to accomplish this thing. And if anything, maybe trying to reconnect with his kids and, you know, that he would then start this relationship with this damaged prostitute sort of help her and then also have it turn into a romantic relationship that that just to me it doesn't need to be there it doesn't really ring true to the character it doesn't go anywhere it doesn't bring me any place better by the end of the film in terms of the jake character i don't feel like he achieves anything or any development through that i don't even think the dakota character the mila jovovich one really develops anything out of it that yeah i don't know i just don't but that's such a I don't know. It just you really you like that storyline? You you think that that needs to be there? Oh, I'm not saying that. The reason yeah. why it's there is very clear. It gives us a chance to see Denzel Washington redeem something, you know? And I agree, David. Are it, you using redeem as an euphemism for having sex? <laughs> we get to see that too. Uh in pretty for Spike Lee graphic uh content. Uh, there's a lot of not them kind of, though, but everybody else. Well, though they have sex. I mean, yeah, but the way that it's depicted isn't super graphic. But no, that's true. That counter sure. in this film is pretty okay. graphic. Um, so yeah, I see why it's here, but David, I couldn't agree more. It is. It feels like a weird rock in your shoe. I mean, because they could have used that screen time to to enhance the other arcs that I thought were more compelling. Or this is already almost two hours, 20 minutes. Just cut out the 25, 30 minutes you spend on that subplot. You can bring it in under two hours. It feels like a tight, like father, you know, sort of um, displaced father with this traumatic past, healing with his kid, the state of basketball. There's enough on the plate there. There's enough things going on that we don't need yeah. that other plot. Uh, any other major problems with it? Um, For me, n- not not really i mean like i said i i thought ray allen was good i like seeing that well i mean okay actually i get the the um the subplot with his girlfriend played by rosario dawson who i generally love i love rosario dawson that character it doesn't feel like it really got set up or developed in the right way like i see them quickly in one scene as sort of like 
high school boyfriend, girlfriend. And then clearly she's leading this double life where she's actually dating this guy. With, was he a basketball scout himself or he just knew one or what, what was the deal that. Yeah. His character doesn't get developed very well. Uh, he, a few years later would go on to be uh, a kind of crucial character in season four of Buffy, the vampire slayer. <laughs> he was an incredibly annoying, unlikable character. And so I was like, I didn't need much uh, to dislike him. <laughs> there you go. Uh, another problem I had, and then I want to talk about the ending maybe a little bit later, but the other problem that I had with it, and I think that if we excise the Mia Jovovich, and I couldn't agree with you more, David, about the Lala character, the Rosario Dawson character, it's almost like Hustle, these quick hurdles that need to be overcome. You know, but it's also an indication that she wants to be paid for her time that she had, quote unquote, put into Jesus when she knows that he's about to, you know, go on to bigger and better things and not take her with him. Uh, you know, that she does that. Well, the uncle does that. I think there's a way to have made that character do that, but the character seems to already be in this deep relationship with this other person. And we don't see any of the like, oh, she's about to be left behind. This is her like maybe last move of desperation to try to pull some value out of the relationship that she's going to be just left in the dust with. I, you know, I think there's something you could have done there. It just didn't really get done in this case. Yeah, I can. I agree with you. If we excise those things from the movie, though. Hmm. My other larger issue is the um, lack of wrap up before Denzel Washington goes back to prison. And then the quick, quick, quick decision that the son makes to go to big state after they have a one-on-one -on -one basketball game. That's the big climax of the film. Father and son, the son clearly resentful of the father for many, many valid reasons. Uh, they have a one-on-one -on -one basketball game that we know as an audience Denzel Washington can't win. Yeah. Denzel Washington and his character knows he can't win, but it's a way potentially to connect with my son before I've got to go back to prison. And it's my I've I've basically waited until this last minute to present what the offer is. No, that's not true. He had presented it, but here is the letter of intent. If you sign this, let's play basketball. If I win, you sign. If you win, I'll I'll leave your life. Yeah, a last ditch to like, yeah, really just cut the cut the shit. Sure, this is what I want. This is why I want it. Yeah, let's. And while you know. Denzel acts his ass off during that game, and we kind of see that you know the the this the number one draft pick, the number one high school stout uh, scout scouted player stout. We're drinking a stout. <laughs> um, is clearly gonna kick this older man's ass. You know who's been is a lot taller than him sure. too. Uh, but Ray then, Allen, but then bang, the next day when he's supposed to make his, you know, he knows he has until Monday to make his announcement, whatever his announcement is going to be, that he does make that announcement. It all felt very fake and forced. Mm. But if you take that out, <laughs> I don't know that I, I enjoyed the movie very much. I enjoyed Denzel Washington having, I thought, pretty good material to sink his teeth into. But the cameos were fantastic from Jim Brown as a cop a cop that's kind of trailing yeah. him while parole he's out on officer, parole yeah. to John Turturro who shows up as <laughs> one of the coaches that's courting Jesus. Yeah. Courting Jesus. Well, no, he is Jesus. Well, he's coach Billy Sunday. Jesus yeah. court. Yeah. The Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I think that Spike Lee 
does a great job with his supporting actors often and really did so in this film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they did a good job for him, however you want to put it. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, directors do sometimes get some praise for getting good performances out of actors, so it can go both ways. All right, let me let me take you guys to task on some of these things. Go ahead. All right. One, I don't think the ending is, like, all that abrupt and, like, the whole time we're never really let into the head of Jesus to figure out what options he's weighing, what's bringing him in these different directions, what is making him think what he's thinking. And I think that's kind of like an intentional thing uh, that Spike Lee does to kind of keep the audience on edge and to kind of uh, put more focus on the external kind of uh, trials and tribulations and influences and, you know, corruption or whatever that is trying to penetrate jesus's moral fiber or whatever so i don't think it comes out of nowhere because we're never really given any indication of where he thinks that he may or may not go uh as far as his decision is concerned um that being said the two things other than that the two things that i want to talk about is that you guys said you didn't like about it uh i didn't have as big a problem with the one thing i did have a problem with was i thought that the non-public enemy music that was used in this film is absolutely atrocious aaron uh, copeland fucking terrible i was gonna bring that up it's a spike lee kind of trademark in some not all of his films that he uses these grand orchestral like anthems that don't really fit. seem to fit the well, action that they're punctuating <sighs> I, I know I mean I feel like I understand why he does it and and I've heard other people you know opine on this before so I'm not alone but you know he's taking this music that's very associated with like the grand landscape of the American continent you know like this idea of like America you hear Aaron Copeland music and you can almost just close your eyes and see a montage of you know the Grand Canyon and uh Mount Rushmore and these these I, uh, iconic American monuments in these places. And he's putting them over these images of people playing street ball and people, uh, you know, struggling a, a, in Brooklyn and, and you know, the, down on their luck. Daily anonymous life. Right. So, I, I mean, I think in a way it's his attempt to take something that most people would cast as being low in character, like, you know, working class people struggling hard to survive, somebody who maybe has this opportunity, but what's he going to do with it? Is he going to squander it? Is he going to make the right call? Is his ex or not ex-con, his current con dad going to have, um, you know, his his sway here? So I, I understand putting it into it. It's a juxtaposition. I kind of agree with what you're saying, Carlos. Like, I don't feel like it works for me in the moment, but intellectually I can understand, oh, th- well, but I see the commentary he's trying to layer into there. Like, this is just as American as anything else, maybe even more American. And maybe we should embrace that. And, and you know, I'm going to elevate. I'm going to make you have to deal with that feeling like this doesn't go together and make you question why doesn't it go together? Uh, Yeah, sure. I mean, and I definitely understand that too, but I, but I think, I just think that, when you're putting music into a film or when you're using music in film, it's to, uh, I think, to supplement the emotion of a scene mm-hmm. or in the emotion of a moment. And I think that while maybe there is intent behind it, 
it undermines the emotion of the moment in a lot of in a lot of cases and it it, it just uh, i didn't care yeah made it, I, made it difficult for me to watch now, hold, now before get, we move on 1992 he uses the same technique in malcolm x but he's telling such a big american story there that it works it works better it works differently yeah i haven't seen malcolm x yet so I'm, yeah i watched I'm it recently sure. uh all at least during five and a half hours of it point. yeah it's a it's longer really movie but long. it's very very good um i it's on my list but just carving out that amount of time uh takes takes a lot okay so to get to the things that you guys said you didn't like that I'm not as negative on as y'all are. I don't want to say that I like loved these things or I'm really trying to go to bat for them, but I, I do think that it's worth kind of having a little bit of a discussion about. So the Dakota character played by Mia Jo. Mila, yeah, yeah. Um, I understand the reason for that subplot. I don't think that is it necessary. Maybe not. Is it? A waste of time i also don't think it's a waste of time i i don't think that this would be a uh demonstrably worse film without it but i do think that what it does is it complicates the jake character i think it serves to show that we have a man with a sordid past who has um you know maybe kind of hinted at a, a, a slight drinking issue, definitely has some anger issues, mm -hmm. uh, has some self-control issues. And, but at the same time, when we see him with Dakota, we see a more, we see a softer, more empathetic side of him. We see the part of him that wants to do good by people, that wants to help people. Uh, and the way that him helping his son comes across is fairly violent uh the way that it comes across to dakota is gentler and i think that that's there to make jake the complex character that he is and i think denzel plays it fairly well and then i also think that it's just a pure like state of affairs fact of the matter guy's been in jail for over six years he wants the soft touch of a woman, sure. you know which of course he would, you right. know and there is and even the agents that are Telling him know that that's probably true. Yeah, and there's an attractive woman on the other side of his, his wall. So what are you gonna do? Yeah. You know, um, so I think that's why it's there. I think that was Spike Lee's intention, based on you know what I read of the film. Uh, this is my first viewing of it, so you know take that for what it's worth. Uh, now the Rosario Dawson character Lala, I think that while there are maybe some criticisms to be had about it because we don't really get a lot of time to see them mutually in love again with the kind of truncated condensed timeline that we're dealing with as far as when how the movie takes place it wouldn't make a lot of sense for her to make that turn in a seven day period so we kind of start media res and like she's already kind of started to become disillusioned with their relationship and she's already kind of taken the most negative approach that she can with it in that like he loves me but it doesn't matter how much he loves me he's going to leave me behind and just like jesus wants to get out of the projects and get out of coney island and create a better life for herself so does she but she's not an all-star basketball player, so she sees him as her meal ticket mm -hmm. and is doing going to do everything she can to try to make that happen for herself, just the way that Uncle Billy, right? Uh yeah, wait, is is as well. Um, 
And so while we we do meet her Uncle Bubba. Bubba. While we do meet her as she's in multiple relationships and that kind of stuff, I don't I think that it's clear that there was some love there between the two of them at the time and the further he ascended and the closer and closer it got to him going on to a successful and potentially financially lucrative career, the more and more and more desperate she became, the more and more uh, kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, The more and more urgency that there is behind her trying to influence him to make the decision that financially suits her. Yeah, but she doesn't seem torn at all about this. She she seems totally fine with playing this game with him and like laughing behind his back kind of I don't know I I didn't I feel like that character was not written well enough deeply enough or worked through well enough you could have left a lot implied if they had had her play it a different way and that may or may not be true but I I think I think the I think the issue with that is where we meet her like we meet her at a time where she is already past the point of like trying to like be a good person or try to like keep the you know i think we've we've, we we meet her at a point where she has resigned to the fact she's getting left in the dust and now she doesn't care about him anymore she cares about doing what's best for herself and that is going with him to find success which is why she realizes that it's in her best interest to get him to go straight to the nba because the longer he stays in college the more time they have apart the less likely it is that she's going to go there with him when he does right in two years well you know fair points and 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 i you know i think i think we'll have to agree to disagree on some of it one thing that hasn't come up that i did want to bring up and this actually kind of connects the two films how do you feel like I feel like it's a bit of a sin that both of these films, as much as they're about young talent and how they make their way into the league, are actually really about middle-aged guys and their middle-aged guy problems. <laughs> what what do we think about telling a story of youth and and talent and the potential for these big things and, and breaking through all couched in the idea of they are the redemptions of middle-aged men? I think of the two films, the latter, he got game does a better job trying to tell the story of the pain of the younger man who has so much responsibility on him. That same responsibility is offered in Hustle. Uh, is, is that his daughter? Help me. I can't. I can't I, it, in Hustle, Queen, his, the daughter with Queen Latifah? No, no, no. no. The, the players. Oh, yeah. That's his oh, da- yeah. His, his daughter, yeah. Right. So, and then uh, in in he got game. It's the younger sister. I, I, this kid has got so much. He went back to he got game now. Has got so much responsibility on his shoulders because of his lot in life. His mother was killed. His father is absent. I think that Spike Lee is also one of the things I could have added to the list of what this film is trying to do is talk about how in these kind in that culture in that you know. Uh, there aren't a ton of success stories. So when you have one in Jesus, of course, you've got hangers on that are trying to elevate along with his natural elevation. And there's a lot of responsibility there. You know, the responsibility to his uncle and aunt, the responsibility to his sister. Um, 
it 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 doesn't it doesn't bother me, Dave. I don't know if it bothers you, but that doesn't bother me because that happens to be in this situation where the marquee star names are the middle aged guys. Yeah, so I hadn't I hadn't thought about that at all, really. Um, it may I mean I definitely see it in in hustle being, uh, you know, maybe a bit odd. Uh, and he got game. It makes sense because I mean, how many? I mean, every single one of us currently recording this podcast and listening to this podcast have either experienced or witnessed a father trying a father or a mother trying to vicariously live through their kids. Right. And like, that's what the big moment at the end of he got game is when he throws the ball over the prison. Bring it up before we got finished is the spiritual coda. Yeah. He's, he's letting go of his dreams uh, to be a hooper, to be an elite level hooper, uh and in the process of that letting go of the expectations for his son and the desire for his son to live the dream that he never achieved and then in that process the son also gets like a moment of relief of like okay now this is now this really is my life mm-hmm. now the decisions that i make going forward are about what i want not about what other people want for me yeah it was uh, it was manufactured to be very sentimental and it didn't work for me at all it did work for me for the sure, idea 100%. that he's back in prison he's in the kind of exercise yard alone he steps into an area where I guess the armed guards are trained to shoot you because you're probably trying to escape if you go to that area. But what he's really trying to do is to throw his basketball over the prison wall. In that moment, his son is playing at college uh, alone on a basketball court, and that ball enters into the court where the son is playing. The son looks at the ball, I guess, makes some kind of connection that this is this rite of passage and it felt very tacked on and underbaked. Hmm. I think I was okay with it. I, I I like that moment, and and I and I and I agree with you, Carlos. I think if if either of the films, I have less of an issue with that dynamic of the the older man, younger man, and the younger man being the older man's redemption. Um, it's it's he got game because it is father son, and and that is a dynamic that we see in many different ways not just in basketball so i i agree with that um and i don't really it doesn't hang me up but it did just strike me as funny watching these films back to back and i'm like it's interesting that we tell these stories about young men trying to make it into a game um at a professional level or whatever and like turn it into a career and all that but we often have to tell it through the lens of somebody who didn't succeed in that and like how what what does that mean for them right that both of them are failed basketball players essentially and they didn't get where they wanted to go maybe but then are they going to be able to somehow either get to that place or at least feel better about what they've done after because they've handed that off to somebody else so um no i mean it's, it's not a not a total obstacle just an observation yeah i think and i think the interesting thing about what hustle does too is it's kind of like i mean almost looking at or pointing at the kind of strange father-son relationship that a lot of like coaches and players like somehow like find themselves in you know especially more so in like the high school college era than in pro sports necessarily uh although you know stuff like that does happen in, in in pro sports but you know young man or woman looking for guidance there's this leader figure in their life that you know, is attached to the sport that they play, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, 
my final thoughts on He Got Game is that I love Denzel. He is possibly the greatest American actor of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying that definitively. I'm saying that he's in the running. For, yeah. he's, he's in that conversation. Um, I do not think this is the best of Spike Lee's work. No. Uh, there are, it's solid mid-tier. It's, it's definitely not his worst. It's not old boy. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, I of the five movies that we've done of his, which I'm assuming, if I remember correctly, is Do the Right Thing, Black Klansman, The Five Bloods. American yeah. Utopia, um, kind of a curveball. Oh, yeah, American Utopia. And now uh, this. And now this. This is my least favorite of the five. Interesting. Because um, I don't have the, the five bloods hang-up that you have. Um, no, I know that I was the but, yeah. lone wolf in the room that didn't like it as, <laughs> as much as you two. But at the same time, will I watch it again? Probably at some point. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, even although I would like David maybe like to see a um, 30 minute less cut taking out a couple of things that didn't quite work for me but definitely one I think sh- people should check out especially if they need to beef up their Spike Lee vocabulary 105 minute cut of this what that, that's a that's an hour 45 right I did that math right yeah no I didn't do that math right no, what it, so it's 136. What's 136? The running time currently with the version that you know that we watched is 136 minutes. He got game? Yeah. Wait, I thought you said it was almost two and a half hours. Two hours twenty minutes. At 120 plus 16. That's so it's two two hours sixteen minutes. What's the ABV on this midnight talk? Ah! <laughs> I'm very confused. It's over two hours, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. What I'm saying is 105 minutes that's an hour and 45 minutes right yeah so yeah add 15, uh-huh. that's the amount of time that we need from this movie <laughs> oh okay yeah yeah all right yeah i'm i'm there with you maybe, maybe even i'd give it an hour 50. yeah 100 minutes or do, do 110 I'll minutes give it an hour 52. hour 50 i'm out <laughs> it's gotta be an hour and 45. <laughs> uh, you heard it spike <laughs> You too, Paul Thomas Anderson. Tighten it up. Uh, I I like this beer. I think it's really good. It's very sweet. Um, this beer is very sweet. But man, it's hitting me a, in a, as advertised. Yeah, it's hitting me in a sweet spot. I mean, if you're gonna, we did a king, that king size by Backwoods Brewery recently. It was a Snickers bar in a can. This is a Heath bar in a can. I am curious about that. What is the Belgian candy syrup? I'm just yeah. interested to know what the hell that might be. Yeah, but know. this does deliver exactly the product as promised, and it does it with a sweetness, yes, but not cloyingly so. It's not too much. And by the time you're half your glass into it and your taste buds have been sufficiently... What was the ABV on this, Carlos? Remind me. I'm sorry. 12.6, I believe. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's not a good sweetness, not the sweetness from He Got Game. 12.3. <laughs> uh, you've got... <laughs> You know, it's gonna it's gonna deaden those taste buds a little bit to kill the sweet, but the alcohol flavor is is there a little bit. I'm enjoying it. It's not, you know, sometimes that can be over the top. Uh, I I enjoy this beer a lot, and I would definitely pick up a four pack if that's the way it's delivered, just to have around for special occasions. Very 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 good pick. Thank you, our friend Daniel. Nice. Well, guys, uh, I'm sorry I didn't get to have some of that twelve point what twelve point six you said. Oh, 12.3. Um, 
that uh, you know sounds delicious and and I'm sure would put me in a in a much different headspace. But this uh, Nama, the the 100% malt uh, Japanese premium lager that Liquid Riot out of Portland, Maine did, it's very tasty. It's been fun to throw back while we've been waxing uh, philosophical about uh, basketball films, and, and in particular, He Got Game. I would highly recommend it. If you can get your hands on cans of this and you don't have that lager hang up like Joe, I think you're going to enjoy it. Hell yeah. Sorry for my hangups, boys. It's okay. I, I like that you recognize the, those uh, those blind spots, those weak spots. I prefer to have hang time than hang ups. Yeah, good point. <laughs> like, well, we we had a lot of hang time too. this week, two basketball movies. Um, David, you will be back next week, so I'm excited to see you in person. Back live. And uh, this has been, God, very, very, uh, very great. I think I enjoyed both of the films, even if I had a couple hangups with both of them. I enjoyed both of them. I don't watch sports, Carlos, like you do, but I love a good sports movie. You know, I love a good movie. And if sports is that central kind of place where plenty of conflict can be birthed and it's done really well, they're always fun. I think we should talk about maybe our favorite sports movies. Uh, in after hours? In after hours. Fantastic. Um, but, you know, with um, with this new movie, Hustle, before I even told anybody that we were going to watch it for the show, people were like, have you seen Hustle yet? I want to hear what you think about it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Pandemic Life, big new Netflix release. Many people, yeah, have uh, had hit me up about it. And, you know, that that goes into the next part of this, which is that me telling you the best part about the show is that the conversation continues after the episode ends, which is a very, very true statement. We will definitely, I'm sure be having some great conversations about both of these films with our audience uh, after this comes out uh, on Wednesday. And so you can find us on all of your social media, your favorite social media channels, Twitter at beer movie show, Instagram at beer and movie, facebook.com slash beer and movie TX beer and movie podcast.com is the home base where you can find a link to our discord. Yes, we have a discord. We're uh, having all sorts of interesting conversations about all sorts of things over there. You can find a link to merch. Uh, that's tpublic.com slash user slash beer and movie. Uh, you can find a link to our Patreon or go to patreon.com slash beer and movie podcast. You can also find these great curated episodes that Joe's put together there. Um, all of that is happening at beer and the movie podcast.com. If you are listening to this on Apple podcast, please rate review and subscribe. It really helps us to manipulate the algorithm into doing what it do and putting the podcast in front of more beer and movie loving people out there in the podcasting world. Um, this has been, uh, uh, I thought that I would surely be able to come up with some good, uh, <laughs> slam good basketball dunk. tournament. This has been a slam dunk episode of beer in a movie until next time. When making a business decision, the only color that matters is green. Mm -hmm.